I'm just an individual, living a miracle, standing divisible, connected to God and my physical, essence of my spiritual presence is visible, totally leaving you unaware of my mental subliminal, used to be a criminal, living so minimal, but things have changed in my life, is going through different intervals, finding that balance is significantly difficult, timing is everything, so my timing is critical, rhyming is literal, the unforgettable, that's why you stand before you impeccably so presentable, I give respect to you, know that I am respectable, I've always wanted acceptance, is that acceptable i give the rival expected to be exceptional and i'm a grown man handle business like a professional i am incredible leo conventional and you stopping me from chasing my dreams is unprofessional welcome to nc raw my name is steve steen host of recovery always podcast coming to you with our Memorial Day special episode. My man Caleb is out on the road with a trail of tears, running from Cherokee, North Carolina to Oklahoma. So it's just myself at the table with our special guest today. My man, a role model, amazing cat, Jamie Pendergrass. It's been too kind right now. Thank you so much. What's up, bro? How you doing? Welcome to the table. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Tell our listeners about yourself, man. Oh, wow. Um, uh, like Steve said, my name is Jamie Pendergrass. I just retired from the United States Army in uh, 2016. Um, served 20 years and seven days. As I like to say, those seven days are important. Yeah. But um, uh, originally from Topton, North Carolina, uh, living in Franklin, North Carolina right now. Uh, served in... Uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, Kuwait, Bosnia, uh, total of six tours for those being combat. So uh, appreciate Steve having me today on this very special Memorial Day episode. So thank you. So I'm going to check you right now. And uh, every time, every guest that we have every week, we make a Facebook post, right? I just want to set the tone for the listeners as far as what kind of caliber of a dude we have at the table with us. Every week we make a Facebook post announcing our guest. Uh, with a little brief bio and announcing um, kind of who he is with a picture of him. So we did that with Jamie this week. And I just want to read you guys some of the comments that came in from Jamie's crew on that Facebook post. Because it was one of the most uh, most responded posts out of all of our listeners. Awesome. That we've had at the table. It's going to make me blush over here. I know. I'm, gonna, I'm coming at you right <laughs> out of the gate, dude. Right out of the gate. So we'll go with it. Uh, the first comment says, one of the best I've ever met. He rocks and he knows it. <laughs> <laughs> He's blushing. I know. Here we go. A fine example of a soldier, a leader and mentor, always placed the best interests of his shoulders, soldiers first. Absolutely. He was there when you needed him and he had time to listen to what you had to say. A true patriot. And I'm proud to say I served with him. Proud to be under your leadership. One thing I love about you is you truly cared. You're the man. I definitely will be tuning in. I can't wait to hear the good things that you have in store. Outstanding leader and mentor, one of a kind. I'll make sure to tune in. Absolutely. How about that support, man? Huh? I tell you, um, it's pretty awesome to think about. You know, because just like I'd, uh, I like I was thinking about the show coming in. You don't really think about it when you're doing it. 
you know, when you're in there and you're in the trenches of combat or just training, you don't think about it. But after you kind of retire and sit back and look at things and then you hear, you hear just the comments that everybody says, things like that, regardless of what happened in my military career, just based off those comments alone, I'd say I had a pretty successful career. So, you know, to gain that respect and admiration meant a lot to me. So I definitely appreciate all that love and support. Yeah, man, it's beautiful. So... We're classmates, right? Absolutely. We both uh, are in the human services program at SCC. And I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about how I came to know you. I had been in the program about a year and a half to two years ahead of you. I took a semester off. Uh, I had broken my leg and ankle in a little moped accident. A moped accident? Moped accident which you'll hear all the details to that Absolutely. coming up uh, on a future show when I tell my story because that's uh, one of the things that we have in store that Caleb and Caitlin keep pushing me saying, we, we haven't heard your story, Steve. We haven't heard your story. And so yeah, we're saving we it. heard your story. Yeah, we're saving it, man. So, yeah, so I broke my leg in a, uh, in a moped accident and I took the semester off and paint this picture. The human services program is like, 90% women and about 10% men. And at the time of my injury, I think there was like 30-something students in the program, and there was like two or three males. And when I come back, took the semester off, went back to Florida to kind of recover and heal, come back, and there's like a whole new herd of, uh, herd of students. And Jamie happened to be one of them. And we didn't really like get to know each other real well out the gate. We just—I don't know if we had didn't have a lot of classes together right at first. But I don't think we talked the first two yeah. semesters. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't much did. going on. And uh, yeah, so we just started like talking like this year. Uh, I really kind of started to get to know him. I think it was like we started talking about. I think it was during football season. It was during football season. <laughs> yeah, it was football that kind of like brought us together. We we're talking about football and talking about. Um, just talking about what uh what was happening throughout the throughout the year and um from that you know we really I you know I was like hey man let's let's get you on the show we kind of started the uh started the show and I was like hey man let's get you on the show and um and we decided to plan a, to go to a baseball game this semester in August we're going in August yeah my hometown team the Tampa Bay Rays Playing your favorite team, the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves, and so we're going to be shooting down there to go to that game. Absolutely, and, and uh, it's really just kind of led to what I would consider somewhat of a friendship. We've been kind of communicating off and on. Yeah. So my first question, because sports is what brought us together, right? How does a man from Topton, North Carolina, be, become a Braves fan and a Pittsburgh Steelers fan? How does that work out? Well, I think uh, when I started liking sports, me being from Topton, North Carolina, they was, uh, I don't know if anyone can name a professional sports team that was actually in North Carolina at the time. Uh, nothing. You know, that was before the Panthers came up. We had no baseball team. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had an uncle who wore an Atlanta Braves hat constantly. He talked about the Braves constantly. So, of course. You and know, most people around here are yeah. Braves fans. Yeah. Right? So that's kind of what I picked up on that. So it was kind of, I was kind of a Braves fan by it getting thrown in my face, you know, from where I was from. The Pittsburgh Steelers thing can kind of came from the uh, old school 70s 
blue collar, uh, just rough nose football. Mm-hmm. And I just I just like the way that 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 happens. So did you play ball in school? No, actually, no. The, right. <laughs> no this I graduated with twelve people. Okay. I graduated high school with twelve people. So uh, you know it would have taken my whole class just to have a football team with no subs. So yeah, yeah. you know it is what it is. But um, no, I never played. On, the only sports I played growing up, we had a men's volleyball team, and I played basketball. Well, you got your family in, all, in attendance with us tonight, our Absolutely. live audience sitting They're behind me. Absolutely. What do you got planned for the summer, man? You got anything cool on the agenda? Oh, man. It's so so much cool stuff I can't really talk about it right now. <laughs> no, uh, uh, going down to Orlando on Saturday with the family, we're going down there on vacation, so oh, it should yeah. be a blast. And come back and uh, uh, just kind of do a little bit of this and that until July, and then I go to... Uh, there's a school that I have to go through over the summer for my work. So I have to go there and it's six weeks long. So I'll be doing Whoa. that. So, yeah. Uh, so that's my cool, awesome plans for this summer. So, no real summer classes. For any- I'm taking two classes. Are I'm you? starting criminal justice, uh, going for my associates in that starting in August through SEC. Through, uh, yeah, through SEC. And then I'm taking two summer classes for that to get to start that little start that little uh, degree plan, so. Yeah, all right. So I got to ask, I mentioned the Facebook comments earlier, and I came across something in there. Where does the nickname Teddy P come from? Teddy, you never heard about Teddy Pendergrass? Well, not, I mean. I mean. It's just. I mean, (laughs) with a last name like Pendergrass, it's not really common. Uh You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, I remember that was the first song that I ever sang in basic training, mm-hmm. my drill sergeant, you know, I guess was a big Teddy Pendergrass fan. So it was a natural so, fit yeah. because of the name. He kept wanting me to sing the song, Turn Out the Lights. <laughs> I tried it. I tried it. And if you YouTube it. Where was YouTube back then? Man? I'm glad. I, well, I mean, if you YouTube it right now, you'll probably understand why I didn't uh-huh. sing the song. Uh-huh. But um, so then it was just Teddy P, Teddy P, Teddy P after that. Yeah. And it stuck. I didn't run from it. I, I embraced it. So one day I get asked about it on a podcast. So that's exactly what I did. Yeah. Well, your boys gave you up, man. Your boys, your boys sold you out. Yeah. We have a few anniversaries that we would, of folks that we'd like to recognize from our community who have been successful in their recoveries. Uh, we've awesome. asked for people to submit your recovery anniversaries through our Facebook page or email at admin at ncraw.life. So we got three of our uh, awesome viewers who did submit uh, anniversaries for this week. Uh, Daniel Myers of Cherokee, North Carolina. He's going to be celebrating three years coming up on the third. So we want to give Daniel a big shout out. Good job. For his uh, recovery success. We also have, this is our longest distance anniversary right here. Uh, Jacob Allen from Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas posted he's going to be celebrating his second year of recovery coming up on the 5th of June. So definitely a big shout out to Jacob. And then last but definitely not least, our man, somebody that's close to me and Jamie, somebody that sat at this table right here, somebody who, if you're watching this Facebook stream right now, Somebody whose episode of NC Raw will be posted to our website tonight. Dustin Roach. Dustin Roach. Our man. The man. Of Maggie Valley. 
is cel- also he celebrated three years two days ago on the 26th. Congratulations, Dustin. Of May. So congratulations. Definitely an honor to sit next to you in the classroom. And we, we know you're going to do some amazing work uh, in the community very soon. We also have, would like to announce a couple community events that are taking place over the next couple weeks. Um, same deal if you have any type of community event, whether it's recovery related or not. We have a post on our Facebook page. Go ahead and throw it up there. We'll give you a plug and a shout out because we we definitely want to drive people to these community events. Like we know that's one of the, the strongest ways to support your own recovery and support your community is by doing these things. So tomorrow um, in Cherokee, the Cherokee Boys Club is having a job fair over there. So if you're looking for a summer job, um, the Cherokee Boys Club is hiring. It is from 10 to 2 over in the Cherokee Boys Club conference room. I think they're doing like on-the-spot interviews. Just kind of show up with your resume, looking fly, dressed <laughs> up, and you could do an interview right then and there. That's pretty cool. The next event is coming up on June 12th, right? The Jackson County Public Library has been doing a mind and body health, nutrition, and you kind of series. We talked about it uh, on some past shows, but coming up on June 12th, they are hosting a drug abuse and addiction and opioid crisis kind of discussion, a community discussion. Uh, we're actually kind of helping out facilitate that a little bit, NCRAW is, but they're they're having this discussion for all members of the community to come out and learn about recovery and learn about the resources in our community and what's available um, in the community. So that's, that is on Tuesday, June 12th at 6 p.m. at the Jackson County Public Library. Um, it's open to anybody, anybody like to come down. We welcome you to educate a little bit more, provide resources for um, those that may need them or for family members who may, you know, have a loved one that is suffering from, from addiction. So the last announcement I just found out about a few minutes ago. Absolutely. What's going on? I know in uh, Macon County over in Franklin, they're going to be doing their the Relay for Life. It's for cancer research. So uh, I'm going to plug that as often as I can with everything I do because uh, I'm all about the cancer research and finding a cure. So if you guys are in Franklin and you want to check it out, uh, it's going to be June 1st. So, so yeah, it's this Friday, June 1st in Franklin. Uh, the Relay for Life is a fundraiser for the American Cancer Society. Absolutely. So check it out. Uh, get on online and register for that. Um, it, like I said, it's this Friday. You ready, you ready to do this, man? I'm ready to do you it. You ready to do this? Ready to get down and dirty? Might as well. All right, bro. So... You mentioned you're from Topton, North Carolina. Absolutely. I have to say that I had never heard of Topton, North Most Carolina. Most people haven't. Most people haven't. Until I read your bio. Yeah. And then I had to Google map it just to see where it is. Did I'm, you ever find it on Google Yeah, Maps? I realized it's not that far away. It's not that very <laughs> no. far away, but if you're looking for a red light, maybe a couple stop signs. Well, you won't find the red light. But yeah, so it's like on Nantahala, kind of like going yeah. through the gorge, yeah. kind of, yeah. in that direction? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's kind of a double-edged sword. If people ask me where I'm from, I'll say Nanahala. They don't know where it is. If I say Topton. They don't know where it is. So, what do you say, Murphy, Andrews? I just say it's. <laughs> North, I just in the usually, mountains. I use. I usually say Topton, and then I usually hit, 
grab out my cell phone, act like I got, got a call, and walk away. So I don't have to explain what that is. So that's pretty much it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So what was life like growing up in small town, rural, western North Carolina? Mm. I'm going to say I probably wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, that was all, growing up, I think that was all I knew, mm. you know? I mean, I thought every school had really small classes. Yeah. Um, so you didn't realize small. how big the world was? No, and like, no, was actually, out there? no, I didn't really know. You always hear to heard about places like New York and those kind of places, but you know, you sure they're about the same size as Topton, right? Mm-hmm. Probably, but yeah. no, that's what I knew. Life was simple then. You know, we grew pretty much everything we ate, and so you your know, family was, was farmers, or yeah, 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 they were pretty much. They always had like a garden and stuff like that, so. Okay. It was small town living, and that's all I knew. So that's what I enjoyed to do, you know. Yeah, yeah. I was a small town guy. I'm still a small town guy <laughs> after all these years. I still prefer the small town living. So yeah, but that's all I knew. So I didn't know any different. So okay, leading up to like joining the service, like what what was life like in high school? Maybe what might have influenced you in pursuing that and going down that road? I think probably, you know, life in high school was pretty good. I played basketball. Mm-hmm. Constantly, that was what I. What kid in North Carolina doesn't? Right? I know. Go, go, Hills. But yeah. uh, no, I had uh, play basketball all the time. I didn't really have a life pretty much outside of basketball. I was really into my family. I love my family dearly. Basketball, and once I graduated, um, it's like you know you go to work at the same place everybody else goes to work at. You know, mm-hmm. it was like we had one factory over in Andrews, North Carolina. Yeah, that um, pretty much everybody that graduated. You either went to Western. Carolina here University here or you went to work there okay so I chose to go to work there uh, you know and I stayed there for a couple of years and so you didn't you didn't join the service immediately no I joined when I was 22 okay All right. I, joined, I, I joined when I was 22 so I worked there for four years and uh, I enjoyed it I mean I worked around some really great people it's just that a uh, rumor rumor started floating in of the of the plant the factory closing mm-hmm so I kind of was pro- proactive on what I wanted to do with my life and everything. So then I was like, I "What think, kind of work did you do there?" Uh, it was a jeans factory. Okay. So we just, you know, they made Lee jeans is mm-hmm. what it was. So I just kind of went to work there and uh, worked there. And then I heard rumors of the factory closing. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you know, instead of waiting till the last minute, I went ahead and I went ahead and joined. Well, I went ahead and joined the army. Just thought I'd give it a couple years, get some college money. Yeah. And Did I, you look around for jobs or was no, that it's just in Andrews like- and there wasn't a whole lot over there, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know? Uh-huh. Um, I love Andrews, but there just wasn't a whole lot at that time yeah. for work. So I decided what I would do is just try to give the army a shot for a couple of years. And okay. that's what I did. I joined for. What was that process like? Like the enlisting process? The enlisting process yeah, like, was what? actually looking back on it was pretty hard. I joined out of Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. That's where I joined out of. And, um, uh, you know, I still remember my parents went down with me to join. And, and of course, they don't want to see their baby go away. So that was mm-hmm. kind of hard. What year was that? I joined in 96. 96. Yeah, okay. I joined 1996. I graduated in 92, joined in 96. So, because there was a lot, there was some stuff going on, right? At that, around that time, was it, was that around like the Gulf War and stuff? Was there still um, kind of a lot like of that was iffy prior, prior to, but, yeah. Cause yeah. I remember I was in high school. So I think that happened in like 91, 91 time frame. But of course, you know, if you go, like anybody who ever joins the army, you know, or military in general, yeah. well, you're going to go to war. You're going to get shot at. Mm-hmm. That's what everybody thinks. So, uh, of course, that's what everybody in my hometown thought. But you're going to go and you're not going to come back, you know, and that was the reality of what it was like. But Were you the only kid from your town that 
had a couple people join, but predominantly most people don't join. Yeah. Uh, you know, and if they do join, it's very rare. You have someone that stay, you know, through the 20 uh, years yeah. like I did. So uh, wasn't a, it was kind of like a rare thing that somebody actually joined the military. I think that's why it was kind of hard for some people to understand why a small town boy would want to join something mm-hmm. so big like that. Dangerous. So. so one day you're like, mom, dad, get in the car. We're driving to Atlanta. Yeah. I'm going to enlist in the army. Mm-hmm. Pretty much is what it was. You drive down three hours, talk to the recruiter, marry the recruiter. Yeah. Of course he was all about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, um, but, and that, yeah, that's what happened. And I uh, did the initial enlistment because when you join, you kind of do it twice. You go down, do all the paperwork, you swear in, but then you have to, you get a ship date go, to go to basic training. Mm-hmm. So then you can go home and get everything in order, all your affairs and stuff in order. Then you go back down and then you swear in for the final time. And once you swear in that final time, you're, you know, you're golden. So mm-hmm. then you just wait for the bus to get there. And then as soon as the bus gets there, they start yelling at you. So <laughs> <laughs> you get on and everybody starts freaking out. But at the time, I, I was kind of hesitant, scared, mm-hmm. but looking back on it, it's probably probably one of the best decisions sure. that I made. Where did so. that bus pick up? At home or down there? No, it was Atlanta. Yeah. They lined everybody up. I mean, once you swear in, it's time to go. That's when the yelling commences. That's mm-hmm. when, oh, it's over after that. So then I remember waiting. It was like 3 o'clock in the morning when the bus got there. We're all outside, you know, and then it's like the bus ever going to get here. But, you know, we're all thinking it's just like a regular bus, mm-hmm. like a Greyhound. Oh, it's yeah, going to be a nice, nice little ride. Little, yeah. yeah, they might have a snack for us or something. We get there, those drill sergeants are just all over you. As soon you as jump you off there, that bus mm-hmm. and just get out Carrying there. all your stuff and getting on. And next thing you know, I, I arrived in uh, Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and it was just over after that. So yeah. it was fun, though. Looking back at it, it's pretty funny. Yeah, but... At the time, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then, so that's when the basic training stuff happened. And yeah. What's that like? Basic training was, uh, it was, it's humbling, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, it really is. It, it really prioritizes a lot about how you look at things. Mm-hmm. Um, you make the most out of the situation. You learn a lot if you pay attention, just like with anything in life. You know, you're only going to learn it is if you pay attention. So um, I learned a lot about myself. Uh, a lot of things that I never really dreamed that I could do. Being the small town guy from Topton, yeah, uh, I never thought that I could go in there and and, and be successful. Yeah. And um, did you rise to the top immediately? As you know, a leader, I mean, or? you you keep your head above water in basic training. Yeah. You know, because you know you you want to do good. You want to be. You want the drill sergeants not to know your name. Mm-hmm. I think I pretty much did that, except for the Teddy P part. <laughs> you know, can you sing Teddy P? Uh, but um, yeah, it was it was pretty good. Uh, you learn a lot about yourself and who you are. And uh, me being 22, I'm still young, mm-hmm. so I had a lot to learn. And uh, it really set the foundation for the things that I would learn for the rest of my life. So I was, I was proud to do it. Yeah. So it was pretty. It was pretty interesting to do that. So where did you get stationed at after? Uh, once I went through basic training, I did it at Fort Jackson. I had a advanced individual training at a Fort Lee, Virginia. It's like job training. Mm-hmm. I was a fueler. I was a refueler. Um, okay. Refueled helicopters, tanks, anything like that. Five-gallon cans. Just whatever needed fuel, I did it. Did that at Fort Lee, and my first duty assignment was Fort Campbell, Kentucky. So it wasn't too far, about five hours away. Mm-hmm. So that was my first assignment. So you were able to, to sneak home on weekends and stuff like that to yeah. visit your folks? Yeah, and- I did that quite a bit because like, you know, it's just a short five-hour drive. And um, I came home probably like once a month. My parents could always come up and see me. So 
it was like I was in the military, but I was kind of home. So yeah, that was kind that was kind of nice. Yeah. How long were you there for? Uh, I was there that time. I was stationed there twice. I was there for uh, that time. It was actually about two and a half, three years. Mm-hmm. I actually got out of the military at that point. I did my first enlistment and I was done. I was like, you know, I mean, it was fun, mm-hmm. but I got my college money and I'm out. Okay. But because I was ignorant, you know, I was ignorant yeah. to patriotism and pride and all that stuff. I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later. But um, so then I went back and the ironic thing is I went back to the same plant factory that was supposed to have been closed in like still three open. or four years. They were still going. <laughs> so I went back to the same job doing the same thing with uh-huh. the same people. And uh, I found myself talking about the military a lot. Mm-hmm. And it kind of got to the point where I was like annoying myself, mm-hmm. you know, if that makes sense. Because I was always like, you know, well, when I was in the army, I did this. Or when I was in, when I was stationed at Fort Campbell, we did that. And then it was like, these people don't want to hear about this all the time. Because yeah. I got a lot of, yeah, mm-hmm, that's cool. So then I was like, they're really not paying attention. So what I did was I decided just to go back. I just decided to go to the recruiter, get back in there. Same recruiter? No, actually, uh-huh. I just went back Called to, back. Uh, yeah, I went back to another recruiter, which it would have been a more simple process. I went yeah. back to the same job, same rank and everything. So well, Something about it stuck, right? It like did. It, it yeah. was because I, I think I started getting older. I started understanding more about the pride that goes with it, mm-hmm. you know, and the love for country and everything that I didn't have the first time around. I had it the second time around. Yeah, they and, taught those things, those things to you, and then you really like yeah. digested it. Right? Oh yeah, and when I was at home, it. and it was like I learned that I learned so much when I was in. It was kind of cool looking back on the things that I learned, and I just wasn't the same person that I was three years. You know, when I first joined, I was so much different, mm-hmm. and uh, I liked the new me. You know, I liked the new me, so I just kind of wanted to go back there. Yeah, yeah, make a difference. When you returned, was your experience similar to your initial experience? Or? Oh, when I returned, that's when the deployments kicked up. Okay. All <laughs> I right, didn't let's, deploy let's the go. first time around. Yeah. But then I went back to Fort Stewart, Georgia, uh-huh. and uh, that's when that's where I did my first deployment to Kuwait. And were you doing the same job refueling? Yeah, I was throughout? I uh, just, just refueling different stuff. When I okay. went to Fort Stewart, Georgia, I did tanks, and uh, like I was a combat arms unit. So mm-hmm. it was more like that's yeah, what yeah. the military was, you know. Yeah. It's like you're in the field when the first time around before I got out, it was I had like more of an office type job. Mm-hmm. I was refueling, but I did a lot of office work. Mm-hmm. So then it's like a I whole came, other world. Oh yeah, I like I I got in there and it was like oh you're going to the field and I was hardly ever home and I deployed, and uh, that's when I started seeing my kids grow up in pictures. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was like you know you miss every other year. But again, you know. Uh, what year did your feet hit the ground in Kuwait? And what was that? Oh, uh, well, initial? my first deployment was in 99. Okay. And I, I rejoined the military once I got out. I went back in in 99. Mm-hmm. So I went August 99. I went back in. I left right before Christmas. It was December 15th so of 99. that same year. Yeah. It was, so yeah. that's feet, you know, that's, it all started then. Yeah. I was over there and. You know, and I understood because it was kind of the growing maturity that I had, which when I had every reason to hate it, mm-hmm. I didn't. Yeah. Because I understood the mission more. Like, I understood, like, how it felt to see freedom and, yeah. and that kind of stuff. So, I I think no matter how bad it got, I think I would appreciate it no matter. So Yeah, it had, it had value. Oh, yeah. It had much too. value. So Gotcha. How long were you there for? Uh, that one was six months. Okay. That's when they just did the peacekeeping because mm-hmm. it was more the stability after uh, after the invasion or whatever they ha- we had in 91. 
when we sent troops over there for, I think it was Operation, the, you know, the 91 thing, Desert Storm. So uh, it was kind of like, uh, we just over there for six months. Then uh, I came back home and uh, moved to Fort Lee, Virginia after that. Mm-hmm. No, before I went to Fort Lee, Virginia, like six months after Kuwait, we went to Bosnia for another six months thing. So you came home first or you just went straight no, to Bosnia? No, we came home for six months, uh-huh. it, about six months, and then we went right, right off to Bosnia. Bosnia. So we was over there for four. I got to come home a little bit early because of a, a birth of a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, we had my son. So um, This little guy was sitting behind me? Yeah. So, so thank you for uh, letting me come home early. But um, <laughs> And then we went to Fort Lee, Virginia, and I was at Fort Lee whenever 2003 when the war kicked off. Uh-huh. So then uh, we went over there for that. So I was over there for 10 months that time. So Gotcha. So that was my... First three deployments right there. Yeah, right out the gate. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, but again, I had the opportunity to stay out when I got out the first time, but I went back in for a reason. Mm-hmm. So I never complained. I did what I had to do. My bags were always packed. I was ready to go. So yeah, yeah. So I did it. A lot of learning, but you said you had a very a different insight on like yeah why you were there and that sort of thing. Cool. So what was the next? What's the next step in the career path, man? Like what? Uh, man, my, my next step in the career path is, uh, what I would like to do right now. Like no, what, no, in that. Oh, well, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm getting in ahead here. of myself. Yeah. And then, um, and then I think after that, I went to Fort Drum, New York, and that's where I did my first Afghanistan, mm-hmm. uh, my first Afghanistan, uh, rotation deployment. So I was over there for a year to Afghanistan. So, okay. uh, what were the conditions like in these deployments? Like what? Uh, as much as I can probably say now, <laughs> uh, I can't really go into a lot yeah. of it, but it was, it was pretty much what you see on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a lot of times, you know, you live with the bare minimal, you know, it can be rugged at times. It can be, you know, it can be okay at times, but you know, the living is, it's getting better over there. If you go in and expect a lot, you're going to mm-hmm. get disappointed. Sure. So you kind of go in with the mentality of, you understand why you're doing the mission. You understand what you're doing and why you're doing it, you know, and you just have to understand that's the way it is for a year. But the conditions is rough. It's mountainous. It's the terrain's not good. Um, sometimes the uh, local national civilian population, some, t- some of them love you, some of them hate you. Yeah. And uh, you just have to be pretty much on call and cautious the whole time. So, And seeing as this is a show about recovery, what was your perspective to addiction at that time my perspective then, to addiction at yeah, that time and then did you did you were you aware of any like fellow soldiers who may have like experienced that struggle um i think i think a lot of times some of the misconceptions of the military is that you know when you join you uh you have a hard nose attitude and you kind of just, you have, you're built to kill and you're mm-hmm. built to harm other people. And I think the stigma, just like addiction, which I'm sure we'll talk about, uh, military people have a stigma about them as well. They have yeah. stereotypes as well. Uh, they can never have a weakness. They always have to be hard. They always have to be ready to go, you know? And I was, you know, Hey, I was living that every other year deployments, I would be home for 12 months, gone for 12 months. I did that for like six years. I've seen so many people struggle with different kind of addictions like mm-hmm. alcohol, yeah. you know, alcohol, drugs, anything. Painkillers was a big one because, you know, and it's just a reality of what it is. I mean, people get hurt. People yeah. get hurt. 
I think that a lot of the stereotypes and stigma is that, okay, well, they're an addict and they're addicted to it, so they're bad people. Just like a lot of the stigma that we have here, you mm-hmm. know, with the, the not in the military type of addictions. So um, I've seen a lot of it, and I didn't understand a lot of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I never, and to be honest with you, I never even thought about it. I didn't have the problem, so it's not like I wrap my mind too much around mm-hmm. it. And I think that was a lot of ignorance on my part. Uh, growing up, I never seen a lot of addictions. I mean, I had, I had friends. I had lost a couple of friends growing up, you know, from addiction, mm-hmm. you know, overdoses and things like that. But it never really, it never really, like, I always was like that. They had the problem. I didn't have the problem. I hate it because society tells us that that's bad. That yeah. You're bad. You're bad. But so my, my, my viewpoint on addiction at that time was more so it was the choice. Mm-hmm. There was no disease model from, in my mind. Yeah. Because to me, it was, that's your choice. You know, you chose to put the needle there. You, you know, you mm-hmm. chose to pop the pill, drink the drink, you know? So that was your deal. Yeah. And you, and I'm not going to say that you deserved it, but I'm saying that you made the choice. Mm-hmm. And there's nobody at that time to teach you anything no. different. Yeah. No, because I mean, I grew up a lot in the 80s and 90s when recovery and things like that was, again, something other people did. Mm-hmm. It was not something that I did. Recovery, oh, that's for other people. Yeah. Just like cancer, that's for other people. Yeah. You're not going to, I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to have to worry about it. So um, it was ignorance on my part, you know. Mm-hmm. I was uneducated. I think the good thing about it is, you know, I met people like you and my classmates at Southwestern that educated me on that. Yeah. I wish I would have had that back then because, I mean, maybe I would have understood some fellow comrades a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And uh, Well, you mentioned stigma and the mm-hmm. stigma that's like attached to uh, addiction and recovery. but And you also mentioned the stigma that um, kind of a soldier carries and like this perception that um, the rest of us civilians might have on on, right. on them. I have to say that like you're one of the most humble dudes I've ever met. Oh, yeah. And, like, you carry it. And so, like, how, and how did you, like, develop those skills or did they just kind of, like, come naturally? The humbleness? To, yeah, just, like, I think that I've always been kind of a nice guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always been kind of an understanding guy. But uh, I don't even know if you realize, you probably do, but in 2010, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, mm-hmm. and uh, which is a lymph node cancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can tell you right now, that was probably the most humbling thing that I'd ever been through in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the time I was a single parent and at the time, you know, I was, you know, I, I was doing my thing. And that humbled me beyond belief mm-hmm. because it made me understand my priorities in life. So I just kind of looked at it like, you know, this doctor said that he didn't know if I was going to make it or not. Yeah. And then next thing I know, you know, I was fighting a good fight. You know, my Lord and Savior gave me a, a second chance, so I'm not going to waste it. And uh, I'm just proud to be able to say that that humbled me. So, yeah. what was that process like? Getting oh, it was scary. Yeah. You know, it was the scariest thing ever was when you're sitting in a room and you got doctors around you and say, "Well, you've you're positive for this." You know, yeah. it was pretty scary. Go through all these, survive these deployments. Oh yeah, go through all yeah. This. That was and the craziest the thing because it was like you know I you know I survived at that time. It was five deployments. I survived it, and cancer was going to kill me. Yeah. I'm like, no, it's not. I'm not going to let that happen. How'd you respond, man? What'd you do? How did I respond? I respond by every time I got gas, I'd park at the most furthest parking place. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I'd, I, I would get $5 in gas every single time because mm-hmm. I'd have to get out of the car more. Uh, I would park, when I go to Walmart, I'd park at the furthest parking place just so I'd have to walk farther. 
I went to the gym every single day when I was going through my cancer treatment. I pushed myself. Had you always been going to the gym prior? Nah, well, yeah, but not like headstrong like that. So, yeah. So, how about your faith, man? Spirituality. Uh, My spirituality got a lot stronger. It's a lot stronger now than it was before. Mm -hmm. I gained a lot because, like, just like I was telling my wife earlier today when I was going through cancer treatment, uh, my mom would always be, my mom, my dad would be like, God's going to take care of it. God's going to take care of it. Mm -hmm. God's going to take care of it. And I didn't really understand it too much, but uh, I understand it now. I think that's the most important thing. So, beautiful. We're going to burn a timeout. Yeah. It's hot in here. Take a quick (laughs) break. Yeah. The NC Raw crew would love to play your music. If you're a viewer, listener, making recovery-related music or really anything that that's, spreads a positive message, please submit your work to admin at ncraw.life. We're going to go ahead and play a track from a recovery rock star, my dude, Logan Bruce. He's doing awesome acoustic live jam sessions on Facebook like every Sunday night. Go to his Facebook page, Logan Bruce Music. Check out his work. This is Diary of a Quitter from Logan Bruce. We'll be right back. For God's sake Get out of my face Let me do my thing And drown all the pain For God's sake Just go somewhere safe Girl, this is no place With this mess I made For God's sake Get out of my way Today's not the day That I make a change When times get tough and thicker These thoughts attack me quicker My heart turns cold and bitter For God's sake Just pump the brakes And let me in my veins For God's sake, just go away It's all just a mistake The time won't erase When times get tough and thicker Attack me quicker My heart turns cold and bitter 
diary of a Don't judge me, you ain't seen what I seen My friends falling out from pure morphine Drinking at the parties, next thing a dope fiend Cold sweats all night, damn I wish it was a dream Hearing all the voices and they made me want to scream So I drink this out the shakes, let my mind go free Permanent pain, homemade IVs Know these aren't tears from my eyes I bleed Grind up all the trees, set the purple codeine Talking to myself while I'm rolling my sleeve Losing my mind, all that I believe Just one more pill, help me breathe So please, please, please rescue me Shoot it up to slow me down, take more speed Damn, I miss the nights, whole time I'd sleep Staring at the clock like it's New Year's Eve When times get tough and thicker These thoughts attack me quicker Turns cold and bitter So here's the diary of a quitter Welcome back to NC Raw Finishing up the conversation With a true hero and role model True American hero True American hero <laughs> My boy Jamie Pendergrass <sighs> Having fun so far, man? So far, it's been a blast. Besides you sweating. said it was going to be fun. It's hot. In here, you know? <laughs> I'm glad you pointed that out now. Yeah. Because yeah. I had a mad dash when we went to break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest with the viewers, yeah. right? That's what I'm going to do. You, you told me that after when this show's done, we're going we're gonna to just do more shows. We're going to add some other elements to it. Oh, a yeah. partnership. Yeah, we're going to do a partnership. <laughs> Having your local places. Yeah. Traveling around. Gotta say, man, my man Jamie, like, uh, he's been one of our biggest supporters throughout 100%, this. 100%, yeah. He, uh, like, we had an event at school a few weeks ago that I couldn't make it to, and we were trying to get subscribers to our website, so I showed up, like, an hour late to the event, and Jamie had just, like, gone throughout the entire crowd and, like, filled up, like, a whole entire, like, worksheet of, like, subscribers gathering emails, collecting emails for us. Oh, Yeah. You even like went around town talking to radio stations. Absolutely, for us? and What's that was that on, on a day off too. <laughs> on your that day was on off. a day off. And I mean, I could have, you know, I could have been at home watching Jerry Springer uh -huh. or my man Maury or something like that. <laughs> but you know, I was uh, such a firm believer in the calls that you're doing with the show that you know I was like, well, I'm, I think I'm going to drive around Franklin, North Carolina, and do a little bit of advertising for yeah. you. So that's what I did. Advertising for NC Raw you connected us with some future guests. Absolutely, absolutely. So I appreciate it. I'm always looking for ways that, you know, I can guide people to you because it seems like you have a firm grip on what's going on in the recovery community. So do you listen to podcasts or because you mentioned you were listening to some stuff over the weekend or is that just in preparation? I, uh, I actually started listening to a couple podcasts, nothing really on the recovery side. It was just more of a like, I'm a UFC fan mm -hmm. yeah. and Joe Rogan has his oh, podcast. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I kind of like him. So. I was kind of watching some of that, at, you know, over the weekend, just so I can have a little bit of experience. So when I come out here, I don't look too, look too, uh, not too <laughs> smart. So, but uh, but I have started listening to you since um, you started this podcast, yeah. and I've uh, checked out a couple of the past episodes, and uh, it's really, you know, it's a really good following. I see. So you mentioned Joe Rogan. I've listened to quite a few of his shows, and one of the things that he says quite often when people come to the table that I'm a firm believer in is people are always like, yeah, man, I think I told Courtney this the other day. 
I think I told you this the other day too <laughs> when we were in pre-meeting. He's like, people are like, man, you're really smart. You know, you use oh, all yeah, these, you told me that's funny. You use all these big words, and he's like, oh no, 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 I'm not smart. I just I just repeat what other people tell me. Repeat what other people tell <laughs> yeah. me. Oh yeah. He's like, and then just, you use it around different people, and they're like, oh man, this yeah, guy, this guy knows what's going on. This guy's smart. He's on it. He's on his game. Yeah, so, dude. So we but let, you play it off really well. Yeah, I know. You do. You I play know. it off really when well. When he said it, I'm like, that is me. I'm like, that is me. You I'll, told me that <laughs> the other day at that pre-meeting. Yeah. Nah, nah, that's not him. He is really that smart. Yeah, so you do it really no, well. No, no. I just repeat what people tell me. <laughs> so we left off. You're kind of talking about your cancer diagnosis. Yeah. And like, now, where were you at as far as like your career in the military when you received that, that news and like what? I was probably at my 16-year point. I was stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky as well. Fort Campbell was my first duty station. And then I kind of went around the western side, well, the eastern the eastern uh, part up through New York, Virginia, Georgia. And then I came back to Fort Campbell. And uh, I was probably at my 16-year point. Mm-hmm. And um, a big knot had came up on my neck. Mm-hmm. It was like a, a couple of the lymph nodes had formed together. And they created one mass. Wow. And it popped up. Uh, Halloween of 2010 is when I found it. So then I started, you know, of course I had the biopsies. They biopsied everything from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of, that was kind of stressful. And then um, I ended up starting chemotherapy in December of that year of okay. 2015. What was no, the, I'm sorry, 2010. What was the recovery process like? Uh, I mean, you mentioned working out and parking far away from... I mean, it places. was a lot of... I remember... Uh, some of the most emotional stuff in my life. I think I think that one of the the biggest challenges for me is I had always said that I just want to see my kids grow up. Mm-hmm. You know, how old were these guys at that time? Uh, you know, one probably I think he was that was what two thousand. I think he was probably like nine ish. As so, I always wanted to see him grow up. And then of course I had a fourteen year old at the time as well. So I always want to see him grow up. And uh, that was my goal. I mean, I had one end goal, and my yeah. end goal was to see my kids be successful. Sure. Because I felt like, you know, we had already talked about earlier, the military people like me. They, you know, they respected me. I found out now in the comments. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, um, but, you know, so that, to me, that was successful. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as being successful in life, uh, I always put other people first. You know, that was something my parents always pounded into me. So I just wanted to see my kids grow up. I wanted to see them be successful. I wanted to see their their lives paved with happiness. Yeah. So I kept that motivation. Definitely my, a driving force. My and... mindset was to do that. If I lived past that, uh, I felt like who I was as a person was going to be left in good hands. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, God, of course, God is the one who paved that out. So there was a reason for the season. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, uh, as long as I did my part to pave their way to be successful and happy, then I felt like I would have had not only a successful career, but a successful life as well. And you were 17 years into your... I was 16 or 17 years at that point. And did you, when did you return to service? Um, I worked with a lot of good people in the 101st Sustainment Brigade out of Fort Campbell. What they did was they allowed me to take my time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it was very sensitive in nature, <laughs> but they, they were 100% supportive. I check in every now and then, yeah. but I had my chemo treatments, and then the days that I would get really sick, you know, they understood that I wasn't able to get to work or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Couldn't really do a whole lot if no, I was there. Do, yeah. They were really cool with everything. I mean, I, you know, so I went through, started the chemo, and I, I did chemo for four months, and then I took a month off to let the body kind of 
recoup itself. Yeah. And then I started a month of radiation. And then once the month of radiation, I probably gave it two or three weeks after my last radiation treatment and I went back to work. The recovery from cancer is, it's kind of hard to explain. It's just, I mean, the mindset that you have, it's, it's not just you get through your treatment and you're done. Mm-hmm. Recovery from cancer is, it takes a lot for you to understand and realize that you don't have it anymore because it's almost like a worst case scenario to a person's life. Yeah. So it's kind of one of these things where, like, I would be short of breath, which was a, a symptom of my lymphoma. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd be calling my doctor. Yeah. Uh, my oh. arm would itch. Like, with Hodgkin's lymphoma and probably other kind of cancers, your chemicals in your body's changing. So you start itching all over. I, I would itch. Oh, it's back. I'm freaking out because I think it's back. So anything like that had came up, I, I self-diagnosed myself. Yeah. So the recovery process for the cancer for cancer is hard because you always think you have it. And, um, and, it, and it wasn't until probably, that was 2011 when I went through my last treatment. It probably wasn't until a couple of years later uh, that I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm not going to live like this. If I get it, I get it. Mm-hmm. If God, if, like, if that's my fate, then that's my fate. There's a reason for it. So I'm going to try my best not to worry about it. Once I developed that mindset, turned everything over to, uh, you know, to my creator. Next thing I know, I met my wife that I have now. Beautiful. And, you know, and everything else has been almost forgotten about. Yeah. You know, it's, it humbled me in the fact that I can appreciate my family that I have now, which maybe I wouldn't have appreciated them as much before. Mm-hmm. But my priorities were lined up. And then I appreciated the okay. people that God put in my life. Kind of and I sur- think that's amazing. So. Surrender to the process. Surrender and, to the process. Yeah, absolutely. What kind of conversations did you have with your kids throughout this? Like what, as a father, talking to your kid about? I think, I mean, I kept them informed mm-hmm. as much as I could. My kids would actually, well, at that time, my kid, he would actually go to my cancer treatments with me. Okay. Like he would sit there and he would watch me get chemotherapy. And it would be my number one challenge to myself to hide the fact that I'm getting so sick right now, I'm going to throw up in any second because yeah. I didn't want to throw up yeah. on him and I didn't want him to see that. But uh, yeah, it was it was like one of those things where uh, I would I'd let him know. I mean, I'm I'm going to be I'm going to be up and honest with the people that's in my life that because it's a support system. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I'm not going to hide from my support system just like I wouldn't want my support system to hide from me. So I'd, I'd be honest, I'd go to treatment. They would, sometimes he would go, sometimes he wouldn't go. They would sit there and if I was sick, he'd sit right there with me. I would get up and try to do something around the house. Dad sat down, I got it. You know, wow, I mean, yeah. it was, unfortunately, I think a lot of it, my kids kind of grew up before they needed to mm-hmm. with the responsibilities. Sure. But, um, because of, like, as they were growing up too, you were deployed. I was deployed. And yeah. And, and then all of a sudden I'm cancer. So yeah. it's like. To me, that would be tough for a kid, but not one time did my kids ever give me any kind of backlash or anything. They were 100% supportive. I was blessed in a lot of ways, yeah. but I think a lot of that came from the respect that I had for them, and they had it for me that, sure. I'm going to be honest with you. This is what's going on with me. So you went through that. Did you return to service? Oh, yeah, I returned. Uh-huh. I actually had deployment after that. Oh, I, you know, it, it was kind of weird because when I first went back, it was a lot of work when I went back because, mm-hmm. you know— Chemotherapy, it like breaks down every organ that you have because it kills all the cells, good or bad. Doesn't it doesn't matter? I mean, it doesn't know the difference. So it's just going through your body, just killing cells. Mm-hmm. So it really break it really broke me down a lot. And um, 
but you know, I was stronger than the cancer. My family was stronger than the cancer. So uh, I remember I did a 12 mile ruck march, you know, with like 30 pounds, 35 pounds on my back or whatever out for 12 miles. And that's pretty rough, yeah. you know, but I remember getting through with that and I was getting ready and it was like three hours or something. Supposed to get it in three, but I gave. I think I did it in three fifteen, three hours and fifteen minutes. Wow! But I, but I actually I remember getting in a car afterwards, and I just broke down crying. That was probably one of the most emotional things. I broke down crying. Mm-hmm. Steve, if I tell you I broke down crying, I broke down because to me that was the that was the proudest moment. Yeah. Because not only did I beat cancer, I finished in front of a lot of other people in this rug march who never <laughs> had it, and, and wow. you know, God willing, they never get it. But I just beat them. Mm-hmm. Flex. So I just broke down and I just <laughs> cried and it was amazing, you know. So, um, you know, and it just from that point forward, I was like, I just gained, I just gained momentum, mm-hmm. motivation, just kept going forward. And that's what it was about with me. Well, you yeah, know? you go through all that and, you know, go through the the recovery process, be cancer, that yeah. last appointment, you had to last go into appo- that like fearless. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I was like, what is this? Yeah. You know, I mean, cancer. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I just, and then the two, that was 2011. And then I deployed again in 2013. Okay. And that was my last deployment to Afghanistan. And I went over there and I deployed with like an amazing group of guys and mm-hmm. they were so supportive. And, you know, and I was stationed at uh, Fort Riley at the time, Fort Riley, Kansas. Those guys were amazing. You know, I, everybody, every, I mean, everywhere I was stationed, I had amazing people. But Fort Riley was like, it was really this, a group of guys that were just amazing, like a true band of brothers, yeah. if I can use that. Yeah. If I can use that. I did that deployment and I came home, you know, I cried again. Cause you know, I mean, I just didn't think I would ever have the opportunity to serve like that, you know? So it made me proud. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so you decided to retire. What like led up oh, to yeah. that? Oh yeah. Decided quick. <laughs> yeah. What led up to that? Um, I mean, a lot of it was just me wanting to come back home. Mm-hmm. Uh, kids growing up. Kids growing up. I had actually gotten married, you know, and my wife, she didn't, she didn't relocate to Fort Riley with me. She stayed here in Franklin and I okay. was there in Kansas. So uh, it was just time that I had to open that. I closed one chapter and opened up another one mm-hmm. of my life mm-hmm. to try to do the family completeness sure. that, you know, that uh, people look for. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I just decided that I would go ahead and hang it up. I could have did a couple more years. You know, I was about returning home to my family. Yeah. You know, I was about that normal, you know, not ever going to have to deploy thing. I'd miss so much in my kid's life. Uh, FaceTime and text messaging calls are great, <laughs> but when that's the only thing you have yeah. with your family back home, kind of gets a little bit old. So I decided to go ahead and hang it up and leave it behind and come back. Out of all the places you were stationed, where was your favorite city, town, states? I'm going to have to go with Fort Raleigh, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Why? Uh, for a lot of reasons. When I first went there, well, the group of guys, like I'd said, they were just an amazing group of guys. Mm-hmm. When I first moved there, it was my son and Trevor and myself that went there. Mm-hmm. And he was in a that cool stage in his life where he was like a little kid, and then he grew up to be like a 16-year-old, <laughs> 15, 14, I'm too uh-huh. cool for the world kind of kid. Uh-huh. But he really came into his own. And I got to see that, and I got to experience that. I don't know if it was as much the town that I lived in uh, over there in uh, in Kansas, but it was just the way that we lived. Mm-hmm. You know, it was me and my son would go into baseball games. Uh, we Ro- go out Royals to eat. games, Royals games, Royals yeah. Games? Oh, yeah, man. The Braves never played yeah. there either. Uh-uh. When the whole time I was there, 
I think they did. It's like, it's but like for every some five reason, years or something. Yeah, every five like, years yeah, or something. Four or five years. But uh, but it I, it wasn't where we lived. Like I said, it was the way we lived. Okay. You know, it was like we'd go down to K- Kansas State University basketball games all the time okay. and yeah. just did a bunch of guy stuff. Yeah, go, over to, go over to St. Louis and tour uh, around. I heard that's a cool town. That's never really by. went to St. No? Louis. Oh, I don't man. know if I'd feel confident stopping in St. Yeah. Louis. I did that's it one cool time, town, and I think I seen a gas station get, <laughs> get, get robbed or something, so yeah. I decided to, you know— I want to test them, the empty things. So, so might have not been so much the city, but just more that time of your life. The time you in my life. spend that time with your son and yeah. kind of grow Co- together. Absolutely. Because it was one of these deals where uh, it was after the cancer and after a lot of the deployments, my priorities was in place. Mm-hmm. I knew what I, I knew what kind of person I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a person who was all about family. There was a void in my life, and I, I was yet to discover it, which— Later, I found out that it was religion, yeah. and it was my belief. Mm-hmm. And um, what was it that brought you closer to your faith? I think it was just one of these things where it was like I think it just comes to you mm-hmm. when the time is right. It's a moment. So it wasn't like an individual thing that pops out in my head. It wasn't like it wasn't the cancer. It wasn't the deployment. It was nothing the cancer, specific. The deployment. It was I think it was the realization that I made it through all that. Yeah, and I was so close to getting that life that I'd always dreamed of. Mm-hmm. I had, you know, I had a great wife, amazing kids. You know, we just recently got a little puppy. I mean, everything yeah. was just absolutely <laughs> falling into place perfectly. Uh-huh. And it had to be a power greater than yourself. It had to be a that. power greater because, yeah. you know, I beat, I beat cancer. I got sixth appointment. I mean, everything, and, you know, and I just feel like it was something that, you know, kind of led me. And then, you know, my relationship with my parents have always been strong. You know, I've always had them in my life and they've sure. been always supporting me. So it was it was something greater than myself. You know, so far it's been really good. I have to ask, I got to tell you guys how dedicated of a man this guy is right here. You retired, right? Absolutely. How many days after you retired were you enrolled in school and taking classes? I was actually enrolled— True story. I'd actually, the summer that I retired, I retired in uh, August. August 11th is when I signed out on leave. My official date of retirement was December 1st, 2016. But I came home because of leave and everything in August. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had actually signed up for online classes the summer before I signed out on leave. But because I was in Kansas, it wasn't, yeah. you can't take online classes through Southwestern Community yeah. College. Human Services Program, number one program, but um, <laughs> but I couldn't do it. So then I signed out August 11th. I had to wait until the fall. I had to wait until the fall semester. So I signed out August 11th. I was sitting in a classroom August 15th. Four days later, four days, in the a long four day weekend, and I uh, moved home. Well, I I moved home, and that whole process was me getting back home, settling in, unpacking my stuff, and boom. I was in class. That Monday. What inspired you to go back to school? And then, like, how did you land in the program that you're in? Um, I, I mean, while I was in the military, I think that one thing that really I gravitated to was the fact that I love making a difference in people's lives. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I mean, because I was in during a time when we were deploying every other year. And I had, you know, if you really care about the soldiers and you really care about what you do, you're going to want to talk. You're going to have relationships with your soldiers that you know if they have a problem, they can come to you. Mm-hmm. And I had developed a relationship with that, with each and every soldier that I had, because I actually cared probably a great time. I cared more about their issues than I did my own. Mm-hmm. 
I went through times when I had a lot of problems, but nobody ever knew it because I was too busy worrying about other people because yeah. I wanted them okay. We still had to address those problems, right? Well, yeah, I did, did have to address yeah. them, but like I would do that. But helping other people was part of addressing my problems because, you know, like if you're talking to somebody, you have maybe something like a similar problem. Like if you're telling somebody else advice, then that's a good idea. I think I'm, you know, I think I'm going to take it myself. Mm-hmm. So then that helps it you because yeah. it's like a, ther- like a therapeutic kind of yeah. thing that you have for yourself is helping other people. I told you the other day, just sitting down and having these conversations supports my recovery. Absolutely. This show yeah. has become my recovery. Yeah, and that's and, and that's actually the beautiful thing about it is because it's keeping you where you need to be while you're talking to other people about them staying where they need to be. Yeah. So, but, but I feel— It sounds like you're a natural social worker, though. You, like, had that natural, yeah. empathetic kind of interest to yeah. be oh, able yeah. to listen and reason yeah. with. Yeah, and— uh Oh, because I, I mean, I loved it. I had people come to me all the time with problems. So, and I, and once I got out, I was, you know, once I retired, I was kind of like, well, there's got to be a way to keep this going. You mm-hmm. know, there's got to be a way because I love helping people. I mm-hmm. love seeing people happy in their lives. And because I, I guess maybe it was the cancer priority, you know, maybe it was everything because I put so much time and effort into other people. I liked it from, you know, I wanted to continue to do it, yeah. but at a different sector. I didn't want to be away from my family anymore, but I wanted to continue to do it. I was talking to my wife one day and she was like, you know, well, I'm going to find you something to do. You know how some wives take over and they take charge of stuff. But, um, chuckle from the live audience audience over there. (laughs) She's finally got her blushing over there. But, um, so what I did, so she found this amazing program at Southwestern. It was, uh, the human services program. Mm-hmm. And so she was a she, she was the one found who found it. it. Okay. Yeah, she was the one who got yeah. on there, and I told her kind of what I kind of I put in like a request order. Yeah. Next thing I know, she's emailing me stuff about this is what I found. Look at it. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, it's perfect. Initially, I was just going to do the the counseling side of it, and you know maybe go on to do the social work thing or just mm-hmm. kind of get my feet wet with mm-hmm. the counseling and see what happens. And did you have interest in like working with? veterans or was it just kind of well, like a broad for net? me you it was just... naturally it was like the first thing i want to help veterans mm-hmm. because i was one that's what i want to do mm-hmm. i mean i was so because i was so limited to what on what i knew you know mm-hmm. what i mean like there's so many areas out there that need help yeah but my side for 20 years has always been the veterans need help the vet- yeah. and they do need help yeah. i love the veterans i absolutely love the veterans so when people ask me what i wanted to do i was like i want to help veterans that's what i want to do mm-hmm. so um but then the more I got into the program and the more um, I started like settling in at home and I seen what really needed to happen in my community. Opportunities in your Opportunity community. that uh-huh. needed to be there that are not there right now mm-hmm. or so limited right there. Uh, I, that's when I was like, you know, uh, I'm going to start taking some of these substance abuse classes because okay. that's what my community needs. What was it that brought that? I went to work at the detention center. Okay. In Macon County. The Macon County Detention Center. Yeah. and As a detention officer? As a detention That's what I do right now. Yeah. And uh, part-time over there. And I just started, and I, and I started seeing the, the people coming in. Revolving doors. Yeah, the revolving doors. What, and the common was, denominator was? Drugs. Drugs. So it was like, okay, well, I would really want these people because I would be talking to people, like passing, mm-hmm. and they would be crying about, well, my son or my daughter or my mom's going to come see me, or did my mom drop this off, or did my dad drop this off? Mm-hmm. And I think that's when a little light went off, and I was like, these people are abs- are people. Mm-hmm. They're not a number. They're not, a, a air quote, to an addict. They're mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. 
you know, that might have made a couple bad choices. And me working there and seeing like an abundance of that, that's when I really changed my focus. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be the guy who steps up that just stands up and say, I'm going to help these people somehow. I may have to absolutely figure out a way to do it. I may have to be patient and I may have to show determination and perseverance, but I'm going to help these people. And the more that I learned about how the brain works and the disease and everything about addiction, Mm -hmm. that's kind of focused myself more on helping the, the users of substances instead of, I love the veterans. One day, maybe I'll tie them together. I don't know. Yeah. But I think my calling right now is to lean more toward the uh, substance abuse side of the help. So definitely a, a shift in kind of like your view mm-hmm. on the whole yeah. addiction process. It sounds like, just from private conversations, it sounds like you're already kind of applying some of those skills that you're learning in school. Oh, Yeah immediately yeah, oh yeah, to your job just by talking to folks, right? Yeah, you know how to talk to people more and you start, you stay away from the stereotype of I'm above you because I don't use, mm-hmm. you know, we're all in this, you know, and understand that it's a good person that has this problem. Yeah. You know, you just have to give them a chance, which I never, you know, until I really started changing my focus on how I believe about addiction and a disease and, everything. I mean, I never really completely uh, understood it until I started being around people like that more often. Yeah. So that's where the compassion came into place. I got to ask you, you immediately started school four days after retiring. Uh, you, how long after that did you start working at the jail? Uh, a year or so, six months? Probably about a, maybe, maybe about eight months or so. So you, you retired, four days later you're in school, eight months later you're working at the jail, you're raising your kids, right? Mm-hmm. Being an amazing father. Thank you. What was the, what was like the, the transition into civilian life like and how did you like cope with that transition and go through that transition? I know I talked about it once or twice in a little uh, Veterans Day thing that I did at Southwestern. I went through a little time whenever... I was pretty convinced that I wanted to completely get away from the the the, the military side of who I was because mm-hmm. I did it for so long. And I was always that person who I always got the questions about it's where I feel like I'm giving the speech again. <laughs> Bring it I, on. I always got the the thing about um <laughs> uh, you were the guy that was in the military, right? Or how many people did you kill? Or how many deployments have you been on? Or mm-hmm. Uh, whatever, you know, it was always those military related questions. And I had probably answered those about a thousand times. Yeah. I mean, it was like constant. Like, Everywhere oh, you go. Oh, you're a veteran, huh? Yeah. Sometimes they would look at me like, you know, I was going to like snap or something mm-hmm. or sometimes they would, however, but then um, the transition was, I got tired of it, to be honest. You know, I'm, I'm just going to be honest. I mean, it was always, I want to be known as not that military guy. I'm mm-hmm. not the military because I, I was trying to get away from it. Not that I was ashamed of it, but I wanted that next chapter of my life. I kind of got a little bit frustrated at times, but then I just had to accept that, you know, that that's part of who I am. And just like with anything, uh, just like I I think I don't know if I said this earlier, but I just I just really made that who I was. Mm-hmm. And that took ownership that, on, that I owned it, but I was going to grow from it mm-hmm. and I was going to be that military guy. But I was going to use that power that, you know, that, that 
influence that I had as being a military person and try to try to help other people. Yeah. Be like if this guy can be 20 years in the military and he can, you know, and he's trying to better himself, you know, and he's 20 years in military and he's going to graduate college one day and he's going to do this and me, you know, my kids would look at me and be like after all that He's going to be like 45 and he graduated <laughs> college. It's never too late if you can graduate at 45. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I just kind of wanted to, to use that platform and start making a difference in people's lives. Sure. And also you get determination from men in the military. So if you get your, like if you set a goal, I promise you I'm going to, I'm going to accomplish that goal. Yeah, absolutely. One way or the other, I'm going to accomplish absolutely. it. Absolutely. And helping people is what I want to do. So that's the goal that I'm going to accomplish. Well, let's talk about your goals, man. What are your long-term goals when you finish? You you mentioned you're when you get done, you're going to get into some criminal justice. Like what's the what's the end goal? What are you, uh, you going to do? My my I'm going to tell you my dream job and that is to start a um some kind of substance abuse um I don't know if you really want to call it a rehab facility, but counseling in detention centers. Okay. You know, I mean, I do know that there's, it's, it's a grand opportunity to help people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's an amazing opportunity to not only, you know, because a lot of them don't, they don't really need as much punishment as they need love, support, care. They need someone that actually cares about them, mm-hmm. uh, cares about their tomorrow. And so my dream, when I'd say my end goal is to be able to make a difference in the detention centers and, the people who have potential show them that they have potential sure. and uh, work with them hand in hand until they can get back on their feet. If it's guiding them in the right direction upon release from being incarcerated, give them the resources that they need. That's my goal. Yeah. You know, and I don't, like I said, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to find myself working in the detention center substance abuse section and gotcha. it's, it's going to happen. So awesome. What is that type of care look like now like in your job like do you you see opportunities for like better quality care when i think that um, is there programs available there's programs i know i know in macon county they have an amazing program they have a mental health advisor comes in it's our old our old instructor miss sarah (laughs) altman gonna give her like a little Uh get her a little shout out she comes in a couple days a week and she absolutely does an amazing job and her her reputation within our detention center is absolutely growing. It's blossoming okay. more every week. Everybody loves going to talk to her. She's an amazing person. I think my goal would be more directed more toward the substance abuse side where she's working with the mental health side. Mm-hmm. It would actually, to me, it would be a pretty beautiful thing to think that not only are they getting the mental health that they need, they would be getting the counseling and the treatment and the reality of, you know, it's not them. It's not the drug that makes them a bad person. It's the drug that, you know, kind of, like maybe mess with their mind a little bit to get the the cravings, yeah. uh, kind of haywards a little bit. But uh, it would probably look something like her model with the mental health stuff, but it would kind of go into substance abuse side of treatment as well. They okay. come and they get counseling. They talk to somebody who, you know, who just put their arms around them and let them know, hey, I believe in you. I I, I do believe in you. I know that you're better than what's going on right now. So we we just need to figure out a way to get you there. Yeah. You mentioned what, 15, 20 years ago, you're pretty narrow minded oh, yeah. when it came to mm-hmm. came to this, and now you have all these goals of yeah. providing that. It's type crazy of care. how life is. Yeah, it is, man. And like it's crazy. I mean, let's let's talk a little bit about 
your internship that you just completed this last semester. Like, yeah, my internship. Where did you find yourself interning at, and what was that like? Uh, I did an internship at a full circle recovery. Uh-huh. What do they do there? It's uh, it's out in Franklin, North Carolina. Uh-huh. It's a uh, it's like a DWI mm-hmm. uh, counseling location. Yeah. They do a lot of counseling as far as uh, DWI treatment. They do a lot of other other things as well. Mm-hmm. And um, they are, I'm not really the intern there now. Yeah. I mean, my internship is over, but, but I do think that what they're trying, you know, what they're trying to do there is actually pretty cool. Um, they're starting up, um, they do a lot of the, uh, like the syringe exchange program there. Uh-huh. And what that is, it's, uh, it's more of the harm reduction side. Yeah. But going into that, I was a little bit ignorant on that as well. I thought it was just a, you know, if you're, if you use drugs, I'm going to give you a needle and yeah. change, change this and do that. I didn't really hardly do a whole lot. I didn't, I honestly didn't do anything with with that because I was still learning. I was sure. kind of on the fence about mm-hmm. how I felt about it. It's a controversial um, topic. It's a controversial in the recovery topic. World. And I'm so yeah. glad that you asked me that yeah. on this show. But uh, <laughs> no. I asked you before no, if there's yeah, anything yeah. off limits. No, no, I got you. No, but um, but it, I understand it more now than I did before. Yeah. It's more of the harm reduction. Uh-huh. It's uh, it's not you you're a drug user, so I'm gonna give you a needle so you can go use drugs. It's yeah. it's if you're gonna use it anyway, I'm gonna make sure you do it safely. You're safe. Yeah. I think that the misconception of that is what I had was, you know, it supports it and Mm -hmm. it enables the drug user. And I wasn't looking at the harm reduction side because I never heard the term harm reduction as much. And I understand it more now. Like I understand the disease factor Mm -hmm. of, you know, the drugs that you put in, the needles. I mean, have you ever seen a needle that has been used like five or six times? It's... It's crazy, yeah. you know. So that's got it's got issues yeah. written all over it. So, I mean, I respect I respect that side of it because I understand it a little bit more. The side of it is is kind of because there's still so much more of it that I don't know, and I'm ignorant too. But I do know that you know Stephanie Almeida, she does an amazing job explaining it, mm-hmm. and uh, she'll explain it to anybody that you know anyone who wants to listen. She'll explain it to her, and they'll she'll outline she'll outline this is what it's for. I'm not supporting your drug use, but I'm helping you understand that building a relationship. I want to build this relationship. This, this is actually one of the things I think she said. I want to build this relationship with you, and we're going to get to a place where maybe I can get you to where you want to stop. Yeah, that's where I was going with it. It's, like, it's yeah. an opportunity to plant seeds. Yeah, it's an opportunity. And they're coming into your mm-hmm. clinic face-to-face with a counselor, and when the time is right, right, they're going to know where to go. It's absolutely, because, because they build that trust. Mm-hmm. And, uh, because she's actually told, you know, her interns, you know, because I was like, I don't want nothing to do with it. I don't understand it. There's too many needles. I don't want to get stuck and all this other stuff. But then when she explained it and she was like, well, she's like, no, I don't support it. I don't support it at all. I'm actually wanting you to stop, but I'm going to build a relationship with you and make you want to stop. Get you a place where the counseling, because you walk in her office and there's brochures everywhere. You know, there's, there's helpful brochures everywhere. Kind of a misconception of of what she's trying to do there. I wish her luck in accomplishing all the things that she wants to accomplish with it. And, you know, I'll help her out as much as I can if I can. But uh, uh, that's where I did my internship at. And I enjoyed it. I mean, we uh, we did a a teen prevention program there in the Union Academy in Franklin. We went in and we explained, um, you know, we had like this movie. We talked about the opioid epidemic. And the reality of that is that we do have an epidemic. 
the reality of that is the kids are absolutely so much knee deep involved with that opioid epidemic and the attention needs to be on it. It's yeah. it's not going to go away unless we part we start providing the information. And it starts with the with the teen prevention programs. Certainly. You know, it can't be a controversial issue that society stays away from. I mean, I would hate to think that my kids get caught up in that. Yeah. Just like probably the majority of the parents out there would hate to think their kids get brought up in well, it. it can happen to anyone. It can happen to anyone. And you know what? The sad thing about it is it's happening to a lot more kids than what we realize. Oh, yeah. But the issue comes when somebody overdoses, and that's when it becomes a problem. And the teen prevention program that we did, you know, hopefully it cuts cuts down the risk of actually of that happening. You know, because our little mindset was like, if one person in that group is saved from what we said in this teen prevention program, then it was all worth doing that. Mm-hmm. So I think that the teen prevention programs probably should be allowed more because the word needs to get out. If we keep the epidemic quiet, then the epidemic will never, never go away. You need to hook up with Caleb, man. He's all about these teen prevention programs. He's working on dropping them in Cherokee high school and a couple different ones. So when he gets back, yeah, when he gets, when he makes it to Oklahoma, when he makes it to Oklahoma, we have can, to, you have to ride out there in a car and pick him up. Cause he won't be able to walk. <laughs> when he comes back. I, I would love to. I'd yeah, love when he gets back and, up and do some stuff. You guys totally need to connect. I wanted to ask you something that me and you kind of like had joked about last semester, but I'm going to have to put you on the spot, man. Got okay. You know where I'm going with this? Uh, no. I'm not going to ask you directly, but we had joked joked about maybe you'd be interested in a, a little political run maybe down the road at some point in your life. Getting involved in politics. Um, I see you looking over my shoulder at the boss, man. I know. She's got this two signs. It's like one, it's like, yes, you can talk about okay. it. And no, you can't talk about it. So I'm waiting for her to put the signs I mean, You don't up. have to say like specifically what um, it would be, but like, is that something that interests I w- you? I can tell you that I want to make a difference. Okay. However you need to do it. However I need to do it, uh-huh. I want to make a difference. Okay. If it's, I don't think politics is my thing. You sure, man? I, I don't think politics is my thing. I think that starting a program Mm-hmm. I think using my determination the right way, mm-hmm. continue on with everything that I do in this life has a purpose and meaning. I think that that's kind of what I'm looking at, but I don't think politics is my, I think that's something that I probably would just leave that to other people because they're, that's what they enjoy doing. Yeah. So it plays a role in some of the stuff, some of the advocacy work that needs to be done, policy change, things like that, to get these well, programs that you're talking about in place. Within the next year, I could always take another class on <laughs> how, how, how to write a good policy <laughs> pr- proposal and see what happens after that. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's something that was cool, and it's something that, you know, I I think that I, I, I do think I have a pretty good vision, and I'm still ignorant in so many areas, mm-hmm. though. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. where do you... I mean, since I've been home, if you ask my instructors at Southwestern, they'll tell you, and even probably if you want to ask my wife about it, I've changed my focus probably yeah, yeah, yeah. a thousand times uh-huh. since I've been home. Yeah. I think that I do have, well, whatever I stumble upon, I just want to be able to make a difference. I want to be able to to help people. Politics is something that other people can do. Yeah. I, I, I will support them 100%. Whoever's in charge, it's what I'll do. I think that starting programs, advocating like that, using my determination and my willpower to to create a difference is kind of what I'd like to do. I just want you to know that if 
your vision changes and you're ready to announce your candidacy, I will always have politicians work too mic- much. I would have an open mic for you to do it. an open mic and a platform for you to do that. You on, would on NC Raw. Right NC here. Raw. Yeah. Can I get my own segment? You can get your own segment. We'll give you your own show. We could do it. Yeah, I could do that. Well, now you're twisting more. I'll have uh-huh. to think about it some. But politicians work a lot. Yeah. So they also play a lot of golf. They play a lot of golf. <laughs> well, they work a lot, and I don't. And I don't really want to like work. I want to go home every night. Yeah. There's a lot of nights I didn't go home. So yeah, I mean, absolutely. I was always deployed and sleeping in a sandbox somewhere. I didn't want to. I don't want to go back to that. But I think uh, starting programs and advocating for. Like, I'm getting into this recovery thing. Mm-hmm. Like, even in my church, back home, Cowie Baptist Church there in Franklin, it's an amazing church. They they got some recovery things going on there. I was wanting, yeah, I was we gonna, talked about I was yeah. going to talk to you a little bit about that as well. Once I get more information, mm-hmm. I like to talk about that. But um, I like to get involved in that a little bit more. So it's like little, it's not small stuff, but it's like little more intimate settings mm-hmm. that I'm going to put my focus on. You know, the road takes it. Yeah. I'm just going to, I'm, I'm really going to focus more on the intimate settings and the people and really getting to help the people is what I really want to do. I think you nailed it with like building those relationships. Oh yeah. Relationships are most important. I think you build relationships every week on this show, you know, and then even preparate, you know, you know, preparing for this show, you're out there looking for people and talking to people Mm -hmm. and, you know, and Caleb is running right now probably. So he's building relationships out there as well. So it's, it's all about community. You know, no doubt, man. As we wind down, man, I wanted to ask, uh, what does uh, what does Memorial Day mean to you? Wow, Memorial Day. Um, I I would really like to start off a little bit, you know, by uh, when I was thinking about this episode, I like I thought about a lot the past week, mm-hmm. you know, and every year on Cinco de Mayo, actually the May fifth, uh, one of my rotations in Afghanistan, I lost a really good friend. It was just a great. Uh, American friend, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was yeah. a soldier. He was a leader. He was a friend. He was everything. I mean, he was a really good guy. Sergeant John Griffith, he he lost his life over there. Yeah. That, you know, I think about him on Memorial Day as well. I was stationed at a—I was in Afghanistan. Another time I was in Afghanistan, uh, lost a specialist, uh, Bernard Corpus. He was a really good friend. He was a guy from—he was like the perfect, perfect— you know, the beach guy, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like, you know, he was out, he was, he was like the hang 10 kind of guy, uh-huh. but he was just a super dude and, uh, lost him. And, um, Memorial Day is something is, I just really can't explain it. Like I was talking to my wife about it earlier. And to be honest with you, I, mm-hmm. I, I broke down pretty hard. Memorial Day, it's, it's an amazing day of remembrance. That's what it is to me. Um, uh, I think I would have cheated myself if, if I had to stay out of the military because, you know, the first time, you know, I, I said I was in for three years and got out. I think it was one of these deals where um, I have such an amazing appreciation for soldiers. Mm-hmm. I have an amazing appreciation for my, you know, my comrades that are still in, the people that, you know, that got out before me or whatever. Uh, but just think about the loss of life. The is sacrifice. It, it sacrifices the most humbling thing that I honestly think that anybody could ever imagine. You know, I was I was talking to my kids today. I was talking to my my two sons over there. They was my my son. My old he was like, I don't know if I should say Happy Memorial Day or whatever. And it was because yeah. I mean, it's it's like one of these topics that you don't really know. I was like, it's you know, you don't have to. It's just a great day of remembrance. Mm-hmm. You know, you you honor the fallen, and uh, you don't forget them. 
you know, you don't. And I think that it's hard for me to get out the words right now because, you know, first of all, I don't, I don't know if I want to be the first person to cry on NC Raw or not. No, you wouldn't be. You wouldn't be. It's absolutely, it's tough be. for me. But just, it's, it's, it's an amazing day of remembrance that I know it's, it's, it's just an amazing day of remembrance. I, I love it. I love the thought of it. It humbles a person beyond words, especially when you've been with the people and you know the people and you have that intimate relationship with the people. Yeah. And then you know you have to look back and say, you know, it's been 12 years since somebody got killed. Yeah. And then the yeah, family. Where are their families at? Their families. And you think that it could very easily be me, you know? And it's just sad. It's Memorial Day is something that should be honored and treasured, and you should always stand up for the anthem. Yeah. Beautiful. So, ready for some fun? I'm always ready for some fun. Pull the nose up on this. Yeah, I'm gonna show you a picture. I'm gonna show you a couple pictures. It ain't of me, right? They're probably gonna be of you. I'm gonna show you a couple pictures that I scoped out on your Facebook page. Now, is it me or is it actually Teddy Pendergrass? Teddy P. Teddy P. And the crew. I'm gonna and show you some pictures, right? Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, I told me. Yeah, you told me you were gonna do this. And I totally I told forgot you. about prepping myself. And, and then I'm going to show you some pictures. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. This is my show, you say. <laughs> and I would like for you to describe to me and the listeners what the picture is and then, like, tell us a little bit of the backstory behind the picture, right? Okay. Like, what's going on? What's happening What in this picture? Ready for the first one? And if the audience wants to come around and take a peek, you're welcome to step up and look. Come I don't on. know. Come on, guys. Is this one on? Can people see this one? No, no one can see it. We'll, I would say. When we, when we, um, we do upload this. the show, the finished show, it will post it on our website. All right. Okay. This right here was, this is actually an amazing, I'm doing what I love right now. Uh-huh. I'm coaching. Coaching. When you, I was, uh, when I was stationed at Fort Riley, uh-huh. I, I coach every year. Uh, rec league in, in Franklin. Basketball? Basketball. Okay. Usually from the ages of like 12 to 15. I love that age. And this was when I coached in Ogden, Kansas, and my son played. I coached it, you know, and I'm just I'm just letting him have it, you know? No, no, no. <laughs> Look no. at your face. You're I know. Serious. It's motivation, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. It, you know, I'm trying to motivate the kids to do good. Uh-huh. I think this was the first game maybe that they won that year. I think okay. that we – they had another coach. They had another coach, and uh-huh. then a coach got – fired for whatever reason so then i like came as a last minute and this was their opportunity i'm like so i'm probably saying this is your opportunity sean you need to take this opportunity have fun no matter what you do go out there and have fun but we are keeping score when you're having fun so (laughs) i want to remind you of that so yeah so that's and i'm pointing right now and Uh i'm probably saying we're keeping score but (laughs) keep it score yeah (laughs) I love so that's it. what I'm doing. I, I love, love coaching, though. Youth sports yeah. is my passion it, as well. That's Trevor. Probably, that's Trevor looking over your shoulder, right? That's Trevor looking over my shoulder. He probably he's. I don't know why he's not in a game. He's got a, sw- a hoodie on or something. He oh he yeah fouled he fouled out. out that game. <laughs> he fouled out. Sometimes he gets carried away, and then he looks at me like, "No, I didn't do it." But sometimes uh, he does. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't me. Here's another one. Wasn't me. That's the classic one right there. That is actually that picture right there is. On my first my deployment after the cancer, okay. that one's in that's Afghanistan. Your first, yeah, first that's, one after. Yeah, that one's after. And um, where are you sitting at? I was sitting. We have like this shack at the fuel point because uh-huh. I refueled helicopters. So what we did is uh, that's probably like five o'clock in the morning right there on a twelve hour shift. 
So man. I'm just trying to hang in there, you know. I'm just trying to do what I got to do to to make it to six. Thumbs up and a big smile. Yeah, and hoping that it after you work twelve hours, you don't have a rocket come in at like eleven hours and forty five minutes and just extend your day that much more. So that's kind of what it was. So. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I do. Last picture, last one I got. Ready? Yes. Well, that right there, right there. So are you trying to get me to cry over here? No, man, you just perked up. I can up. tell you right now that I'm looking at a picture right now of uh, my wedding day, uh-huh. actually. And um, that's when my family became whole right there. Yeah. Uh, tell us about it. It's outside. It's Townsend, Tennessee. It had rained a little bit, I think, that morning. And we got there, and like once again— my Lord and Savior was taking care of us because the rain stopped. Uh-huh. And uh, it was outside just the smallest, most quaint little cabin out there. Uh, well, chapel, I should say. You know, there was probably no more than a handful of people there, but, you know, we it was, it was, it was a, a beautiful thing. And we came out, and this is probably my first completed married family photo that we had, as I would imagine. Beautiful. I'm going to keep this one from my wife because if it's not the first family <laughs> photo, I might get in trouble. I already sh- held it over my shoulder. She it, saw yeah. it. But yeah, this yeah, right here you. is just, it was, uh, everybody was looking beautiful and yeah. it made the cancer, it made the deployments and it made the military career It made all that stuff worth it. Yeah. I wouldn't have changed one day of all my struggles because of this picture right here because it led me there. So sums it all up. It sums huh? it all up and you can tell we're all smiling. So, it's just a beautiful thing, man. It's awesome, awesome, Jamie. Thanks for coming on, bro. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, man. You got anything else you want to share with our viewers before I throw one more surprise at you? One more surprise. I would say the only thing that I have is um, I'm not sure, you know, as far as the viewing goes, this has been a great opportunity. Um, uh, I just want to personally thank the uh, the soldiers that are still serving right now. Uh, even though I've been retired for a couple of years, you know, I'm still... You know, I still pray pray for them every single day, probably multiple times a day I pray for them. Uh, the families, I think, just like I've said, and every time I've had an opportunity to talk, the uh, the spouses and the kids, they don't get enough credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, yeah, the soldier is the one who gets the thank yous and happy Veterans Day and stuff, but, you know, the families are right there with them. I don't care yeah. and if it's just your, if, if it's your mom and your dad, your wife and your kids or whatever you have at home, they're there with you. And um, I just love it. I just love every one of them. You know, the dedication, the the drive they have. I love every single one of them. And all the people still out there serving. I love it. You know, I love you guys. You really, really take care of yourself. You know, and that's my take on that. And then for everything else in life, just live your life in a way that you're going to make a difference. And if you strive to make a difference, one day you will and never give up. You're an awesome dude, Jamie. You're Thank an awesome you dude, for man. your service, bro. Thanks for joining us. Always. You're an awesome father. Appreciate it. Your son, Trevor, man, he's interested in radio? Yeah, he's interested in radio. He has like a part-time, he has a part-time gig over there in uh, Franklin, North Carolina. Uh He says, I just take him to break. But uh, he sacrifices uh, every Friday night during football season and all that. So he loves it, it, loves it, loves it. That That was my dreams when I was his age. And yeah, here we are. 20 years later, finally chasing them, you know? Isn't it amazing how it's that crazy, works out? It's crazy, bro. It's crazy. Yeah. So, Trevor, you ready to come up here and close the show out for me, man? Come on, dude. That is awesome. Yeah. All right.
Thank you for listening to NC Raw, Recovery Always. The NC Raw fam would like to thank today's musical contributions rival who work can be found on Facebook, SoundCloud, YouTube by searching Rival727. And Logan... Logan Bruce. Logan Bruce. Shout Logan out Bruce. Logan Bruce. Whose work is found on his Facebook page, Logan Bruce Music. Shout out. All NC Raw content is available by visiting our website, ncraw.live. Please subscribe. Uh, to receive exclusive content offers sent directly to your inbox. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and WNC Raw. Shout out. WNC Raw on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jamie. Love you, bro. Thank you. Love you too, man.